But we are in the fifth and final week in our study of First Thessalonians. And here Paul begins by referencing a topic that he's talked about many times through the first five chapters, but it's a topic that I have never even addressed. Maybe some of you have gone back and read it and thought, gee, I wonder why I didn't talk about this. And it's the second coming of Christ. But I'm going to talk about it today a little bit, because Christians in the first century when Paul lived, uh, believed that Jesus was coming back. And most of them believed that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. Now, while Paul spoke a lot about it, he never, ever promised a time. And you can see what he says here in verses 1 and 2. He says, now, brothers and brothers and sisters, uh, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know that very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, uh, don't worry about it. No one knows. And this is really repeating what Jesus had said back in Matthew chapter 24. No one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven. And I like the next part. Not even the sun. Jesus doesn't even know when it's going to happen. The only person who knows when the, crowd, when the clouds split and the herons blow and the angels come down, the only one who knows that is the Father. Now what I find absolutely amazing about that is that in spite of this, there have always been people who have tried to pinpoint exactly when the second coming will occur. Now, I'm going to give you an example. Nancy may kind of remember part of this. Back in 1998, my second year as a pastor, I'm serving at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Belvedere, Illinois. I received a book, and the book was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Must Take Place in 1988. It was written by a guy by the name of Edgar Wisenant, and he came to the, to the conclusion, uh, these 88 conclusions, after studying all of the prophecies, he said, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Now, in the book, this is exactly what he said. He said, Jesus said we cannot know the hour or the day, but that doesn't mean we can't learn the year, the month, and the week. Uh, uh, he went on to say, this is as much as we can be sure of, but there's also good reason to believe that the rapture will take place specifically on Friday morning, September the 16th, 1988. Now, I was bent out of shape when I read that, because September the 16th is my birthday. And on top of that, in two more days, we were having our fall festival at Emmanuel Lutheran Church. It's when we took our three church services, got together on the school property, put up a big tent. They had a beer tent, that's Lutheran, in the back, and cooked brats, and I don't know what else they served on that day. It was a big deal. So I was really bent out of shape that this clown would say something like that. But 9-16-88 came and went, and Edgar was wrong. And I was a year older. And I was happy, and we had a great uh, fall festival at Emmanuel. But, there's always a but. But, this did not deter Edgar Wisenant, who reran his calculations, and he said, whoops, I was a year off, and then he published a new book, 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place in 1989. Now, I don't know if it was supposed to be on September 16th, again, I don't know, he's trying to get rid of me, or whatever. But it never happened again. 
Now, I, I believe in the second coming. I mean, we often say in our creeds, uh, I, I believe in God. He's going to come again to judge both the living and the dead. The Bible's pretty clear about this. Um, but I also believe the Bible when it says about the times and the dates, we don't need to write to you. That's what Paul is saying. You guys, you don't need to know. It just will make you worry. For you know very well that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. Now, what Paul is saying is, it's not for us to know this. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the day, the month, the week, the year, or whatever. It, and I tell you, I, I get enough literature from a variety of different people all the time. They keep on predicting. They keep on predicting. They keep on predicting. And I, I just kind of go, okay, I, know, I just delete, delete, delete. Now, being ready, though, means that uh, we are prepared. Now, it could happen during the church service day, which would be fine. I don't need to finish the message or anything. We all go home with Jesus. I basically don't care when it's coming, but since I was a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout, be prepared. Be ready for whenever it comes. Now, that's how the Christian life ought to be lived. As Christ followers, we need to live with eyes wide open. And the best place to turn those wide open eyes is back into God's word and see what God has to say about all of this. I mean, we are not to be a bunch of clueless, uh, naive or gullible or easily duped people. We need to be alert. We need to be people with our eyes wide open for a whole variety of reasons um, to be discerning. Um, and this is the kind of person who's ready for the second coming of Jesus. This is the one kind of person who's building a life of Christian character. Now, I'm not going to say much more about that other than the fact, don't worry about it, folks. It's going to happen. You and I may or may not be around. If we are around, we're going to rejoice with other believers anyway. If it doesn't happen, we can pray that his kingdom come and that people who follow behind us who know about Jesus, we'll see him again someday as well. But I'm going to move on into chapter 5 because Paul, after he just said, don't worry about this stuff, he has a series of rapid-fire exhortations. He boom, 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 at different teachings. Now, I could preach on each one for hours, but I decided to choose only three. And maybe if my spirit works on it, uh, maybe I'll finish some of the other ones next week. I don't know. I'm thinking about starting a new series already next week called God's Point of View. Uh, but the very, I'm going to touch on three. It's called living with eyes wide open. And so to live as sons and daughters of the light, or we might call uh, sons and daughters of the day, I think there are three things we need to focus on. And here's the first one. It may seem pretty simple. We need to keep our eyes wide open to the needs of other people among us. Now, we call ourselves a missional community. And we gather together to encourage and equip ourselves. But the purpose really is, is so that you can go outside the doors to continue to need, meet the needs of other people. This is why Paul says in, in chapter 5, in a variety of different ways, he says, encourage one another. Now, that Greek word just really means to put courage into somebody. It's like coming alongside them, putting your arm around them and say, it's going to be okay. Trust me. The Lord loves you. He says, show respect to other people. Um, people ask me if I had a hard time acclimating to working in prison where virtually everybody else is black. And my first response was, they were? 
<laughs> yeah, okay, it's kind of hard to miss. You know, 6,200 guys, most of which who are, whom are black. Uh, but, you know, they treated me with kindness. I treated them with kindness. You, you respect people. You don't look down at them. Uh, to live in peace with one another. I mean, that's the worst thing that can happen is, you know, where you're always on edge with people. Uh, to help the weak, to help the timid, be kind to one another. He just goes on and has a whole bunch of these different things. So every opportunity you have uh, to meet another person, you have an opportunity to practice what I would call holiness. Maybe you don't think about that. Now, some of us were at White River the other day. Did we practice holiness? I would hope so. Yeah, we were nice to people. Uh, Nancy delivered at least... Uh, Two groups of food to people's houses for them. I got to hand out some stuff. Show got to have people come over and pet the pony. I mean, you know, Jeff is walking around schmoozing like he always likes to do. Everybody else is, you know, doing all these kinds, these kinds of things. So now, opportunities to practice holiness. Now, anybody can maintain a sweet spirit if there's no one around to annoy you. I can be the sweetest person on earth as long as you leave me alone. Uh, uh, but there are demands on our life where we need to not live up to our sinful expectations, but to the expectations that Jesus has in our life to meet the needs of other people. Now, here's the second one. I'm not going to say much about that. Second one, though, we need to keep our eyes open to what's really going on around us. It's kind of knowing the culture in which you live and how to respond to it. Now, a verse that I would really encourage people to memorize, this is a very simple little verse, verse 21 of this chapter Test everything. Hold on to the good. Don't be easily swayed by everything you see or hear on radio or television or whatever. Now, almost every day, I mean, I consider every, every once in a while to get rid of my Facebook page, to get rid of my, any other social media page. But then I realize I have opportunities to speak some good news into some situations. That's the reason I kind of hang on to it. But almost every day I see or hear from people who are alarmed or concerned about some terrible injustice that's taken place or is about to take place. And then without checking the validity of it, they immediately dump it out on Facebook or TikTok or wherever else they're going to dump garbage like that. And they panic and they forward it to everybody. And this all happens when we because we kind of tend to react before we stop and think. That's why Paul encourages all of us, and I, I don't, I'm not going to be political with this, but you need to test everything. You listen with a discerning mind. That's all he's saying. And that the mind you're supposed to have is what? The mind of Christ. It's not like, I wonder what the pastor thinks about it. Who cares what the pastor thinks about it? What does God think about it? Now, we hope that the pastor is in the line with God. That much we know. Paul says, test everything. Don't jump to conclusions. If something sounds too good to be true, maybe it's not. Wait until you know all the facts. Uh, conversely, for, if you're an alarmist who happens to be with us this morning, uh, if something sounds bad, it probably is. I mean, sometimes you just need to wait until you have all the facts. Now, I do this when I listen to preachers and politicians. I listen very carefully, particularly I listen to preachers and politicians sometimes with whom I don't agree. And believe, believe it or not, there are, there are politicians I don't agree with. You can 
I'd be glad to tell you who they are after, and I wouldn't need to do that. There are some preachers that I listen to every once in a while because they'll have a little headline on the Facebook, and I go, and it's like, uh, maybe I should send them a copy of the Bible or something. Now, Paul says, don't let yourself be gullible to false teaching. Don't let yourself get jaded to be like the rest of this world. Test everything. Wait for evidence to come in. Uh, look at the facts. Make your conclusions based upon what you actually know from God's word. From God's word, not from what Barry thinks or Jeff thinks or Anthony thinks or what Nancy thinks. No, God's word. God's word. This applies to a lot more than just how you filter your emails or your text messages. It applies to how you treat your kids. Uh, it applies how you treat your spouse, uh, your employees, your friends. So are you going to jump to conclusions before facts come in? Will you be gullible? Will you be easily tricked? Will you be cynical and skeptical of everybody? Will you always assume the worst? Will you close your eyes to the obvious? Well, we don't want to do that. We want to live life with eyes wide open. And that means you learn to test things and seek the good in them. Now, these first two parts are sound, they're pretty practical kinds of things. But I'm going to move on to one that's maybe you'd say is a little bit more spiritual, if you will. It's the third thing. We need to keep our eyes open to the presence of God within us. Now, if we do this, the first two are relatively easy to do. To keep our eyes open to the presence of God within us. Now, that's why Paul, as he writes through that, he rattles off a whole bunch of words here. But in verses 16 and 17, uh, he, he says in 19, you know, don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Or if you're in love with the King Jimmy version like uh, Jeff, it says, uh, what, quench not the Spirit. <laughs> I think that's a, a King Jimmy quote. So do you know how to quench a fire? Like I said before, I was a Cub Scout and then a Boy Scout and actually an Explorer Scout. Uh, one of the first things they taught us was how to build a fire and then how to put the fire out. Uh, well, to quench a fire, one way is to not put anything flammable on it. Uh, your scout master says, put out the fire. You don't throw more sticks and branches or, God forbid, gasoline or kerosene on it. A uh, way to do that is take something that's inflammable like uh, dirt or water, uh, put it out. See, in the same way, you and I can quench the Holy Spirit when we ignore his presence in our life. One of the best terms I've learned about the Holy Spirit in the last 20, I'm going to say the last 25 years, because I learned it in prison. Nancy probably knows what they call the Holy Spirit down in prison. It's called the resident president. He lives in here. I like that. Now, I'm not going to change the creed and put resident president in there, but it's a good way to remember that. Uh, you quench the fire of the spirit when you kind of smother his presence with things that don't spiritually burn. Now, what kinds of things don't spiritually burn? Well, one of which I, I'm kind of guilty of is kind of innate laziness, you know, just sitting around or doing whatever. It could be apathy or just a kind of kind of a condescending opinion towards people. It can manifest itself in criticism or gossip or uh, greed or whatever. And it's those kinds of things that easily can quench the Holy Spirit's fire within us. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you struggle with sin? Well, 
couple of people are bold enough to do it. I'd say, you don't need to, but thank you. I know you do. I mean, when your wife raises her hand, you... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all struggle with sin. Thought, word, and deed. Uh, you name it, we've probably done it. One of my, one of my daily um, routines is to do some Bible study, and I, I break it down in, in, in for a prayer with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And uh, when I come to confession, it's always interesting, based on the Bible passages I've read that day and studied, uh, there are days when I kind of go, well, I had a pretty good day. And then I have to give myself a little thump in the back of the head. No, you didn't. <laughs> because whether you did something wrong, <laughs> you were thinking things that were wrong. Uh, you were saying, no, I don't choose to be helpful, or no, I'm not, whatever. So we just need to remind ourselves. Uh, that we're always dumping things on ourselves that kind of threaten to turn our spiritual life into ashes. Now, how do you keep the fire of discipleship burning? You know, we're not going to worry so much about putting one out. We don't want to dampen that. Uh, I'm just going to suggest a few things. I think it's the discipline of the Christian life, very simply. Daily prayer. Do you have prayer time every day? I don't know how you're going to do it. And some of you, you know, you're going to have routine, probably prayers, like over every meal. Uh, there's times you just kind of stop and you just pray, but you have kind of a regular time. Or daily Bible study. doesn't make much difference how much you study. Uh, there are days when I decide, uh, I'm thinking about, what am I going to preach about next? Or what about this next thing? And, you know, I, 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 I team teach two Bible classes in town every week. And so I've got to prepare Mark chapter 10 when I come back in a couple of weeks from Texas. Uh, and sometimes when I say, okay, let's, let's start reading Mark chapter 10, I get about three words in and I have to stop. Because I want to know what this means. And sometimes I've got to go back and read Mark chapter 9 and 8. And sometimes I've got to go way back. Or, like many of us do, uh, connections in the biblical narratives, hyperlinks. You're reading and studying Mark chapter 10. The next thing you know, you're reading Leviticus chapter 17. <laughs> Why? Because Leviticus 17 says something that ties into elsewhere. Study. Worship. Gathering together. Uh, is it, you know, what do we got today? About 12 people. Okay, we're worshiping. We gather together to acknowledge God as our Lord and Savior. Open the eyes of my heart. A mighty fortress you are. I can't remember what the third one is, but what is the third one? I've got it written down somewhere. But uh, all, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Okay, and that's part of our, our worship life. It has to do with fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word. Uh, my stupid definition of that fellowship is two fellows on the same ship going in the same direction for the same purpose. <laughs> that's fellowship. We are all together in fellowship. We're all together going in the same direction for the same purpose. That's what we're doing. Uh, service, like we did yesterday over at White River. Uh, service can manifest itself in a variety of other ways. Uh, you had Jerry out with you for three weeks. His brother has knee surgery. Jerry, who's got plenty of stuff to do <laughs> back home in California, comes out and serves you for three weeks. It happens all the time for all of us. These are fuel for the journey. They keep the fire of the Spirit burning in your life. Now, like some of you, uh, I've known some people who at one time were really on fire for the Lord. But all of a sudden, 
that flame began to grow dimmer and dimmer, and it finally just kind of was gone. Now, why, why is that? Well, a variety of different reasons. Sometimes it has not participating in the Christian life anymore, not getting into the word, not being in prayer, not being in worship, not being in a fellowship kind of a situation, kind of withdraw. Uh, we have found a, a large number of people who stopped coming to churches altogether once COVID started. Well, for a while it was unique to sit at home and have recliner church. You know, sit back and I've got a big screen TV like that and I can watch. And it's kind of fun. I will confess that there's some time after a while I thought, hmm, I wonder if I could pause this and go upstairs and get a cup of coffee or something and come back and then just fast forward through some stuff. And people did, and after a while, people thought that was no fun anymore either. But they got comfortable, and they removed themselves from the fire. They removed themselves from the assembly of gathering together. And the next thing you know, it was no longer part of their life. People who study these things say that's approximately about thirty percent of the people who used to be regular attenders in church. That's a pretty significant number. See, it wasn't a matter of deciding one day. Um, that everything was great, um, that they were going to abandon their faith. It was a matter of slowly letting the fire of devotion go out in their lives. Um, That's why the daily disciplines of the Christian life are so important. They keep the fires burning. They continue to stimulate it. For us to be strong in the Christian life, you know, to quote Bob Seger, like a rock, to be like a rock, we need to keep our eyes wide open uh, to the needs of people among us, the people around us, and the presence of God within us. I mean, that's really three things there. Well, with that being said, we come to the end of First Thessalonians. Now, we've not covered everything in there. There's a whole lot more in this. But uh, my prayer is that this is happening here in this missional community called Restore. In other words, if you have character... It'll be seen in the way that you treat other people, and that's why in every chapter Paul talked about some way that we relate to other people. And maybe you want to go back and read all the First Thessalonians one more time. Just see how many times he said, this is how you relate to one another. See, in order to be strong, in order for me to be strong, we need each other. So that's where character is developed and revealed in the context of community. We need to be living examples to one another. Uh, Sometimes we need to help one another up, and sometimes we need to hold each other up. Um, We need to be gentle with each other, kind and loving. We need to look out for one another, to respect one another, because Christian character is developed in the context of Christian community. Communities where we live together, serve together, and we finish the race together. And this is where we develop character and where we we really have a chance to demonstrate it. And so all the things we learned in here, that's why I continually say this all the time, whatever we learn in here, there are two doors to this place, three doors really, where you can walk back out into this community and actually practice that. Practice that. Now Paul approaches the conclusion of First Thessalonians in these words in verse 26. I'm going to use this as our closing blessing today too, but these are good words. May God himself... The God of peace says, sanctify, sanctus, holy, 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 we sing. 
He means, so as he makes us holy through and through, and that's a process. May your whole spirit, that inner being, your soul, your body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Now, what he's saying is we can all become people of character. It's our birthright, really, as a believer, if you will. Uh, It's in our spiritual DNA to be one of his people. Now, my prayer always is that uh, we journey together. I mean, the whole thing about Restore is a journey. And we've been at this now working on 10 months. It's a journey. Guess what? Sometimes the journey is pretty doggone exciting. Sometimes the journey is a little bit of a struggle. It's okay as long as you're making the journey. And in the process, we just grow stronger. We become a little bit more sturdy. We become a little bit more solid. We become a little bit more secure. We become a little bit more faithful, practicing it on one another. And then together, when we reach these points of strength, is to go out and share all that stuff with as many other people as we possibly can. And we always do that in the name of Jesus. And to that end, we're going to talk about that name of Jesus. And let's stand and sing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name.